0: on the Google Play or App Store, or visit them online at fishingbooker.com
1: to book your trip today. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier unlike many online butchers you can grab just one meals worth or lock in for a subscription box choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef american wagyu free-range poultry grass-fed lamb wild-caught king crab seafood and more For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. 46% of Americans
0: expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks.
2: That's policygenius.com. Hey, this is Tyler Jones, and you're listening to the Element Podcast. What's happening, everybody? Sitting here in Emory, Texas. I don't know where did we come from last time. Was it Emory? I don't know. I don't either. <laughs> You're listening to KC Smith over here, my typical cohort and co-host over here. Uh, what's happening, dude? What's been going on with you?
3: Eating a salad for lunch. Yeah. Yeah. I had a uh, mixed bag. I had chicken and whitetail. Talk about
2: protein. Was it prairie chicken?
3: No, it wasn't a no. prairie chicken. No Atwater's, they they're uh endangered, so we let let them be yeah. it was more of the uh golden variety golden, the golden chicken mm-hmm. and, you know fat yellow chickens,
2: yep, yeah, pretty good pretty good meal, man.
3: It was pretty tasty. What you, did you
2: have for lunch today? Oh, similar thing mm. yeah it was a very uh light and fluffy mashed potato um <laughs> one
3: one mashed potato it
2: it was about probably one little mashed potato uh. There was some macaroni and cheese and hamburger steak. Mm, yeah, carb and protein, dude. So, living the life. I got talked into it by by <laughs> the dude at the drive-through. Uh, I was I was gonna do some healthier sides <laughs> with it, but uh, you're eating a little, a little healthier, and I've been eating healthier as well. I ate a salad last night, so we're not gonna harp too much on me. <laughs> um, but we've been running and stuff. It's yeah. that time of year, man. It's like it's like time to juice up and get ready for. Uh, elk season I got you know? mountains
3: to climb this summer, man. A lot of them, mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> I just every year it seems like around deer season, I just get chubs, yeah. And uh, you know, deer season hits the same time as the holidays, and then it's so cold outside, I don't want to go outside and do anything, so mm-hmm. I end up trying to do an inside workout, and it doesn't go well for me mm-hmm. usually. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's time, it's, it's everybody's got that spring feeling, you know, yeah, time to get out and do stuff,
2: yeah. Yep, trying to prep, get ready for maybe some trout fishing this summer and and that kind of thing. I don't know. It just always seems like... Uh, i tell you what, last year in October, I was in as good a shape as I've been in several years, probably.
3: I guarantee you, coming off that Black Canyon trip, I was... For about two hours until we ate that Taco Bell, I was pretty good (laughs) shape. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah,
2: we did. So I did the Black Canyon. We did. I did Rocky Mountain National Park last year, and then we went to British Columbia. That was pretty tough. Spent eight days or whatever out there, and then right like four days later, or no, we went elk hunting first, and then yeah, and spent a week or so (laughs) out there, and then four days later went to British Columbia and spent like eight days up there. And, like, I was looking at myself in the dough video that, you know, dough I shot last year in Texas in the video. I was looking at myself the other day. And I was like, ooh, that's way different than what I look like now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Using
3: them calories, man. Yeah.
2: I don't know. There's just, you know, a good thing about Texas is there's Dairy Queens in every small town
3: mm-hmm.
2: that's also – maybe not the goodest thing man
3: <laughs> and they usually have some type of deal where you can get a blizzard with mm, your meal <laughs>
2: or like something blizzard deal <laughs> with the junior cheap uh, cheeseburger and uh, bacon on top for 5.99 mm-hmm. so good yeah. but uh today we have um a guest that has been on before Nick Penizzato. We're going to talk about CWD. I know everybody's tired of hearing about it. Everybody's probably listened to a million other podcasts and media about the CWD and it's, it's negative talk. But I'm telling you right now, we have done this. We did this podcast before we actually did this intro. And this podcast is different, man. This is very interesting. There's new news. I don't know if that's the proper way of saying that, but there's some news that has come up recently and a few things that are uh, action items that uh, hunters, us as hunters need to take uh, initiative on. And so there's a few like calls to action here and some things that uh, you may not have thought about or may not know much about. So we start broad for the people who don't know much and we get quite a bit more detailed. Nick uh, scorns us or scolds us to in trying to get us uh, <laughs>
3: Encourages us. He does. It yeah. really
2: was encouraging, but it's it was charging, you know. It was, yeah. It was Charge you the, up. Yeah, for sure.
3: And uh, I feel like one of the cool things about this interview we did with Nick is that we we asked some of the tougher questions, you know, and and he's not the, not, um, how would you say this? He's not a guy who makes decisions on CWD stuff or anything, but like some of the stuff that we kind of wonder about but don't know the answers to and don't know the people to get the answers from, he talks to those people every day. Right. Or not every day, but often, mm-hmm. you know. So it was cool to get to talk to him and ask him some of the stuff. It's like, man, what about this? You know, this is kind of a weird thing that not a lot of people talk about because they're scared to know the answer. You mm-hmm. know, And uh <clears throat> I'm just glad that the NDA exists. And for you, for those of you that don't know, that's the National Deer Alliance. It's free to join. There's mm-hmm. no, like,
2: Thirty-five dollar oh, fee, yeah, it's, and, and
3: it's not spam. Like you're not getting a bunch of junk from them all yeah. the time, right? They they send you an email on Wednesdays with things that are in the news in politics about deer. Yeah, and it's like one of the most helpful tools that I have for is sure. An NDA membership
2: for sure. And you know, this is the this whole issue that we're talking about today is uh, <laughs> it hits close to home with uh, you know they're just. The discovery of CWD in recent years here in Texas, and and uh, all of the uh, deer farms that we have, and just I know, you know, we've we spend a lot of time with some of our buddies at uh, Texas BHA, and uh, I know there's several guys, our buddy Jared, who's very interested in this, and we we would we would all like to see uh, just some some state level address towards this problem. You know what I mean? So it's it's a it's a good podcast I think to listen to if you're if you're if you've listened to CWD stuff before uh, you may fast forward to five minutes or so but we really get pretty detailed pretty quick. Yeah. Um, another thing that we have been up to is we've been fly fishing a little bit. And them carps Man. are fun.
3: Yeah, they are fun. Giant fish. Yeah. So look forward to a little bit more media about that. But tune into our stories because Tyler and I are going to ditch out early on work as often as we can (laughs) to go do this because it only gets better
2: from here. Mm -hmm. We've also talked about squirrel hunting because it's open now.
3: Yeah. Yeah. As of May, I'm pretty sure squirrels open for a month. So we need to get out there and get after some of those tender little baby squirrels. Tender ones. Man, Uh, there was like three cat squirrels in my
2: parents' yard today and those why didn't you get them
3: i had to come over here with you <laughs> <laughs> i had a nail gun instead of a shotgun that's man. it
2: man too bad i know it um which also works yeah i'm just gonna hold the thing back that's front. right <laughs> <laughs> just watch your finger <laughs> don't blow it off yeah. uh, uh one thing that i've been wondering I, I talked to you about this and we really don't have an answer for it so if you do uh, that'd be good i've never really hunted the spring season for for squirrels do they have fleas? Tyler is so concerned about the fleas on these squirrels. So. <laughs> Dude, okay. So yeah, I didn't, uh, we grew up, uh, like we didn't always have, you know, the nicest things in the community or tons of land or anything like that. You know, uh, I don't want to say we we're poor or anything, but, uh, cause I've seen some poor people, you know, but, uh, we had a flea infestation in my house for Ooh. several years in one of the first houses we lived in when we moved down here, and so yeah, fleas uh, are not cool with me. Really, I don't mm-hmm. like them much at all. I mean, we used to—you literally could just walk across the living room and have like fifteen of them just jump all up on your socks and you start yeah. eating on your leg, you know?
3: Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like uh, you feel dirty because you have them, but it's really not your fault. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. We had a uh, when I was young we were between houses my dad you know has built houses for a long time and we lived in an apartment for about three or four months and the people next to us had pets so we got the fleas mm-hmm. even though we didn't have the you know we didn't bring them in or anything we had like the same kind of thing you're talking about you walk across the floor and it's like <laughs> all over your leg mm-hmm. looks like pepper
2: yeah I'm like oh it just takes all me a and you don't even recognize it until some one of them bites you and you're like oh and then there's like 40 of them on you you're like how did this happen so
3: um I have as many males do hairier legs mm-hmm. and something about the hair on my legs is it's very sensitive to touch so anytime a tick or a flea or a mosquito or anything touches me I can feel it through the hair I've kind of like a cat whiskers you yeah. know what I mean uh, not so me. I, I know when like I can feel them down my legs it's kind of nice <laughs> not, not me
2: I'm uh, I don't know if I'm too much Indian or what but I don't have <laughs> I don't have very much hair on my legs hey no, you, you got a decent amount it's decent of but yeah. not I'm not the you know manliest hairiest guy on the planet or nothing yeah. can't really grow a beard like you yeah that's for pretty, sure pretty hairy guy so what do you think man is it time to get nick on the podcast yeah you got L- else? let's
3: holler at him uh y'all be sure and check the show notes on this show because we talk about a lot of things that we're going to reference down below uh, most importantly uh the nda website and joining the nda because they will keep you well informed and then there'll be a big list of stuff that we're going to talk about in this yeah,
2: podcast for sure so let's uh get nick on the phone and let's listen to what he has to say all right, so on the phone, we've got Nick Penizzato of the National Deer Alliance. How's your spring going, Nick?
4: It's going pretty well. How are things going for you guys?
2: Going great. We're uh, we're This is like uh, the heart of working season for us so that we can take <laughs> November off, you know?
4: <laughs> well, I certainly can appreciate that. And um, I know I've been trying to do a little turkey hunting, but I've only been out... A couple of times because my work schedule has been pretty crazy, so we've got to figure out how to get work out of the way of the stuff we really like to do.
2: I know it. I know it. And the, the thing for us, it's a little bit different for us, and I don't know how much you know about the landscape we live on, but uh, we don't have turkeys in the direct area we live in. And that sounds crazy because we live in Texas, but we don't have turkeys here.
4: Well, I just assumed that there was all kinds of diverse game everywhere in Texas. So I am, I'm a bit I'm a bit shocked to hear that. Yeah,
2: yeah, we're in a uh, we're in a hole where there are not turkeys, and actually, uh, the majority of the U.S. has a healthy turkey population, and we are uh, we're like the forefront of the NWTF. You know, right now, their purpose. So it's kind of cool to be right. part of that uh, conservation story that's happening right before our eyes. Absolutely. So let's go to CWD a bit. And personally, I've been hearing about CWD for several years. Uh, and I've really tuned into it the last few years, trying to better understand it, um, done research, and uh, also just listened and watched and read m- m- a lot of the media that uh, that contains CWD. And it's hard to, to digest sometimes because there's not a whole lot of light in the situation. Uh, but, you know, Casey and I recently spoke with a hunter who – I would say has a decent bit of influence in our community and CWD was kind of a new thing on his radar I mean he definitely knew about it uh, had been doing some studying on it but uh, with that said can you explain the difference in EHD and CWD for those who may not know?
4: Yeah definitely and it's interesting you bring up EHD because a lot of people we just assume everybody knows the difference but that's that's not really the case so Mm -hmm. Uh, CWD is the, the the number one difference between the two. Is CWD is always fatal. Any deer that gets it is absolutely going to die. It's transmissible from deer to deer contact. We're also learning some things about it being transmissible, uh, even through things like soils and areas that uh, deer have in common. Uh, that they share in common anytime you have deer in in close uh, confinement with each other. So deer farms, for example, is a place where the disease can easily spread because the deer are in such close proximity. Uh, But it's an always fatal disease. It's a brain disease, uh, just very much like mad cow disease, except for in deer. And it's in 25 states now across the country and probably in more states that just don't know about it yet. Uh, EHD is a different disease. It's, it certainly can be fatal most of the time. Um, but in areas that have had EHD outbreaks, the deer can actually develop an- antibodies over time so that if there's an outbreak later on, uh, it's going to be less significant, less severe. but it comes from uh, biting midges. A lot of times people refer to them to noceums, these tiny little midges. And in particular, it seems like drought years can be worse and you get deer congregated around water sources and these biting midges. Next thing you know, you have a lot of sick deer, many of which, particularly the older deer, end up dying. And, and one of the reasons I think there's a lot of confusion and why people say, well, what we really ought to be concerned about is EHD and not CWD, is because EHD is a, is a quick killer and it's a mass killer. So uh, for example, someone may come across an area where they find 50 or 100 deer along a stretch of stream or along a lake that died from EHD. And that is much more impactful from a visual perspective than CWD, which is a much slower killer. A deer could could contract CWD is a one year old and not die until it's a five year old. It may not show clinical symptoms until later. And so you have a lot of people or naysayers about chronic wasting disease. They'll say something like, well, where are all the dead deer if this is killing all these deer and how do we don't see it having any kind of an impact. And at the same time we see EHD and it's wiping out hunting seasons for us for a couple of years until the deer can recover. And so it's very confusing to the average hunter. I can see why they could see EHD as the bigger problem. It is a problem. Uh, for sure, it's a problem, but it is not to the scale of what CWD is, particularly in the long term. So that's just a kind of a quick snapshot. There's, I just encourage people to go out, and you can do a lot. There's a lot of good places to search on the web about the differences between these two diseases. Also, the CWD Alliance website, cwd-info.org, has all of the information, and then some that you'd ever want to know about chronic wasting disease uh, that's where you want to go to get the real down and dirty information on it.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like another thing too is that uh, in this, I guess community we live in, you can get lost in the acronyms pretty easy, especially if you're not, you know, up to date, up to snuff on all your your different uh, diseases or whatever that's out there. You know, it's you got a, a three letter acronym for a disease, it kind of gets mixed up in your head, you know, and, and so I feel like I've talked to people who have had that issue, and then for me in particular, it's kind of hard to understand. Um, the differences of, of how they are lethal. You know, I, from what I understand, um, EHD is a bacterial or, or some type of uh, biological thing, and then you've got viruses also out there, but then CWD is prions, which my uh, biology 101 level uh, <laughs> mind doesn't wrap itself around prions well can you kind of explain like how <laughs> CW like what that is and like how CWD is transmitted uh, on that level
4: yeah and I and I appreciate what you're saying because I am not by by trade a scientist either although working with deer and all these diseases, I have learned from a a lot of really smart people who are scientists on these diseases. So, uh, yeah, I think he explained it, explained it pretty well and and to the level where I think the average person really needs to understand it, but prions are different. So, um, if you think about maybe an equivalent disease in human beings, we have Crutchfield Jacobson disease or CJD. And unfortunately the media in a few cases has tried to show uh, indirectly a correlation between CJD and CWD, even though there is no correlation. And we'll get into this a little bit more later, I think, in our discussion today. Mm -hmm. Uh, But a prion is a very different thing. It's a misfolded protein. And it's not like a bacteria or something that can be killed. And that's why I think in our society, we've come so far in modern medicine Uh, You you come down with something, you go, you take a pill or you get a shot and we're able to treat it and get rid of it. And I think that people's minds automatically go to that type of thing when it comes to a disease. You say, well, isn't there something we can do to treat it? And you can't treat a a, a prion disease. You can't. There's no pill to take. There's no injection. And that's the same thing for human beings. I, I got to spend some time with the National Prion Center up at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland and there are a National Prion Center that work on these things. And just like CWD, every human that gets CJD, unfortunately, is going to die. Because even our best science does not have a solution or a way to treat this disease. So it's it's complicated, and it, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it, just based on how we all live our lives and how we think about our own health care. And so it's, it's very easy to understand why people are confused by it. Uh, You're not gonna kill a prion, it's just different. And that's why we find out that they can remain in the soil for years on end. If you have, for example, some of these deer farm sites that have been depopulated for years afterwards, testing in the soils there and in the plants still show the prions there mm-hmm. so that's a very uh, it's just that's why sometimes the national media has called it the zombie disease because you can't kill it mm-hmm. and so that's something that's just difficult to get your head wrapped around
3: sure yeah and zombie disease is probably a really good headline for <laughs> yeah. you know people to sell stuff which is kind of the uh, i guess it's kind of one of the uh i guess letdowns uh, of society is that uh Oftentimes, it's all about the the sale or many how, how, Yeah, how many copies you can, or you know how many clicks you're going to get off of this story headline, as opposed to like trying to get straight facts out to folks. Which is why I appreciate the NDA and you know being a member of that and and getting that weekly email that keep, keeps you well informed on things. So, um, you know, you've kind of explained like about the prion and how CWD works, but um, you know we understand that it's dangerous, right? And it's dangerous on many levels. So. Uh, I'm going to ask you to break it down a little bit. So, like, why is it dangerous to deer? Like, why is CWD bad for deer? And why is it more than just, like you talked about with the EHD, like that instant killer, but in the long term, it's it's much more, uh, I like guess, frightening?
4: Yeah, and that's, that's a – there's a lot to that. So I'll do my best to, to keep it as simple as I can. So with EHD, for example, if you have an, a local outbreak – it's it's gonna I mean it's gonna suck right because yeah. it's gonna impact your hunting season. Uh, people are going out, they spend money, they buy property uh, nowadays, hunting properties, and they go out and they see all of their best bucks laying there dead in a pool, and it's it's obviously very. Uh, frustrating, scary, and and it'll make you angry, make you want to, you go through all the different stages, right? Of anger and uh, disbelief and then sadness. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, it's bad and it's impactful. Where I'd mentioned earlier, CWD is not like that. You don't see it uh, happening right in front of you a lot of times, but the difference is your deer will recover from EHD. Okay. They will bounce back. You're not going to typically have an EHD outbreak every year. Uh, Your deer will bounce back, they'll develop antibodies, and they'll be stronger for it in the long run, and you can recover. With CWD and some of the research we're seeing, we're talking about population-level declines. We're talking about, over time, areas just having less and less deer to the point of maybe even no deer in some areas because it's just so infected. And so... For example, you let let's say you hunt in one of the real hotbed CWD states. We'll just I I always hate to pick on Wisconsin, but it's it's the easy example. Sure. Yeah. And it's as simple as you may not notice it in one year or two years, but then maybe all of a sudden by the third year you're noticing, man, I used to see ten to twelve deer per sit, and now I'm seeing maybe seven or eight. And then pretty soon to the point where you're seeing, man, I used to see seven or eight deer, and now I'm I'm just happy to see a antlered buck every two or three hunts and uh that's a very real thing it it doesn't impact you immediately like ehd will because you can see it right in front of you but cwd has the potential for population level declines if we do not keep it in check the best that we possibly can so that's why we sound the horn so loudly on cwd because we're trying to get sportsmen to understand that um just because you don't see it happening right in front of you doesn't mean it's not very real and it doesn't mean it's not there and that has presented with us a real uphill battle when it comes to the media for example you mentioned mainstream media and they love to use terms like zombie and other things because everybody catches on to that it's quick it's catchy whereas we don't have the influence as an outdoor media to To get the right impression across to say you – know, to get away from terms like zombie disease. So mm-hmm. uh, our explanations tend to be way more complicated. It's hard for me even discussing this with, with you guys and your audience to try to boil it down into something that's consumable. And we struggle with that, and therefore people don't understand it. And then if you go all the way to the average hunter, people that you guys may, may talk to that say – you know what? I think this whole CWD thing is kind of a hoax. I'm not seeing it anywhere. I don't I don't really think it's a problem. And then the easy thing is to just believe that it's not really there. It's not real or it's something that's made up. And that's what we're concerned about. We're trying to get the word out. We're trying to make people aware of it. But we're also not trying to scare the heck out of people and keep them from hunting. Because again... There are management techniques that are that are being done across the country. There are a lot of, I just came from meetings in D.C. last week where you got a lot of great conservation organizations working together on this to find solutions. Now we just need to bring hunters into the fold, educate them, and say it's out there, we're working with it, we're learning to live with it, we need your help to do that. Uh, but it is something that you need to be ultimately educated on and concerned about.
3: Yeah, sure, and I think you bring up a really good point about the hunters, like that's kind of the next level of like what this is dangerous to, is because um, we all really cherish the wildlife and the food resource and the culture of hunting. And uh, let's face it, you know, whitetail is king, right? And, and uh, this doesn't just affect whitetails. I mean, you're talking about pretty much every cervid native to North America is vulnerable to CWD, correct?
4: That's correct. Yeah, yeah. it could be elk, it could be moose, there are species of reindeer. Uh, but it's a cervid disease, yes.
3: Yeah, and and so, like, this is something that's super threatening to our culture and something that we love and care about. But I think even more, sometimes we we tend to put on our goggles of outdoorsmen and kind of forget that we are humans, too. And I, I know, like, you, we're not trying to scare the mess out of everybody, right? But, like, it needs to be something that is discussed and, and well-known well is that, you know, this disease... Uh, has the potential to have a human effect, right? It has the potential to jump to humans and, and and cause some bigger issues.
4: And and that's the terminology that we have to we have to be careful with because mm-hmm. so for the official stance from the from the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, is that they recommend not eating deer that are found to be to have, to have CWD. Now, they also say in that same statement that there has never been any proof of CWD CWD crossing the species barrier to human beings. But it's just a responsible thing to do to say, because we don't know, because even though there's never been proof, we just recommend that you don't eat it and that you dispose of it properly. Mm -hmm. Um, So – I, I just think that's the responsible thing for anyone to do, right? Any of us. Um, we, we saw the recent – the timeliness of this is interesting because we had the thing with the romaine lettuce, right?
3: Yeah, sure.
4: Uh, re- recently. And so people are throwing out the romaine lettuce even though there's a really good chance that their romaine lettuce doesn't, doesn't have anything and they're not going to get sick. Uh, the natural thing to do is when people are telling you, you need to get rid of what you have, you need to get rid of what you have and and not eat it. Yeah. And I think that's just, yeah, I think that's just logical advice to deer hunters, but at the same time, a lot of people aren't testing their deer either. So we're probably very close to a time where it just becomes routine that you shoot a deer, you get it tested for CWD just as a point of um, process, just as part of the overall deal and then you get your results, and then you either eat it or dispose of it.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> that's a world you don't want to live in, right? And uh, it's funny that you bring up the romaine lettuce thing because something even closer to home for us down here in – Texas is there was a big uh, scare with bluebell ice cream a little while back. I don't know if you remember seeing that in the headlines, uh, but man, you take the bluebell away from Texans and people start really racing so <laughs> it rocket. Yeah, you know, those kind of things are, are scary and, and they're real, right? So, uh, and another reason, one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you today is because we had a recent study that I feel was very, um, I don't know if it was a rumor situation or it was just a very uh, discrepant, results but the thing with the macaques right Uh, can you explain that study that was done and and what the results were from that and why maybe they were confusing
4: so there are two studies okay and i'm not sure if um if you guys are even aware so the first the first study that generated a ton of uh, press and got people thinking about this connection between CWD and human beings was the one that came from university of Alberta. Mm -hmm. And that was the one that said that it was, it was a long-term study where they, they were feeding macaque monkeys, um, which are, they share a lot of DNA with human beings. So they're, they're the closest thing to a human being that you can, that you can do testing on. And uh, I'll, I'll butcher this if I try to get into the nitty gritty details, but the, the, the short of it is that they had a number of monkeys there that they fed CWD tainted meat and they fed in different, in different ways. And some of these, well, the macaque monkeys that were, that were given this meat came, had come down with CWD. Now the results of the study have been, have been talked about, have been put out in the press. However, the paper has never the, the 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 study, the paper has never been published yet. Mm-hmm. So therefore those people who live in the science world say essentially, you know, it doesn't it doesn't really exist until it's published. Sure. And so regardless, however, there was a lot of effort made to say here are the results and it was put out there and it, it wasn't mass hysteria, but it certainly opened some eyes. National media got involved. Mm-hmm. Now the most recent study that just came out is contrary to the Alberta study in that they also did this study on macaque monkeys and none of their subjects came down with CWD and this was a, this was actually a published study now so this has been published so it's it's real it's out there mm-hmm. it's real and so now you have people who are they're, they're confused they're conflicted one study says this another study says that. And that's okay in science because there are a whole num- lot of factors that could have led to one result or another. Uh, there is w- when, if and when the other study from Alberta gets published, then we'll know more and maybe be able to compare that. But the important thing is, is that as this research continues, that ideally uh, people are, certainly other people that are doing this research will look at the different studies, see what was different and see why the results may have been different. But the new study, I think, gives people a lot of hope and just reassurance that maybe CWD isn't at least crossing. And again, macaques—they're not human beings, even though they're they're very similar in DNA. They're not human beings. Sure. But I think it gives people a lot more confidence uh, to say that it's unlikely that CWD is going to be crossing the species barrier and just give people. Uh, a little more confidence when they're out there hunting and, um, you know, about to decide whether or not they're going to eat the meat or not. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. And I understand like with, with other, you know, infectious diseases, um, like for instance, especially viruses, like viruses, uh, they mutate so rapidly. And that's why it's so hard to contain control, exterminate, uh, the prions like in CWD, do they mutate that way? Or is CWD CWD? And when you Uh, you know you don't have that problem with it mutating and jumping that that way you know uh, on a dna kind of scale or or is it more of a a deal where uh it's um you know cwd is its own disease and once you figure out how to contain that it is contained
4: you're probably treading into waters that are too deep for me (laughs) (laughs)
0: um
4: yeah and i wish i had the answer to that yeah um you know, So I think I would encourage people to go out and, and do their own legwork, read about the two studies, read about the details. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the NIH study, the National Institute of Health study, is, is the most recent one that I would encourage people to go read about. And there's plenty of if you just do a Google search NIH study on CWD, you're going to see all the information pop up about it it's the most recent study and the paper's published on it. So that's where I would encourage people to right now to go to look at that information. And then you can go back and look at the Alberta study as well. And, and at least read about what's out there, even though it hasn't been published yet. Um, so I, you know, as much as is, I can tell people here on the show, the biggest thing is, is that people also need to self-educate and take advantage of the great information that's out there. And I also had mentioned the CWD Alliance website earlier, cwd-info. Check that out as well.
2: Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, you know, I, I personally read, uh, have read a few articles on the positive test results and then the one uh, on the negative test results that came out recently. And obviously, there's more press on the one that's an older study or an older uh, press report, but uh, the article or two that I've read were also longer. And so it kind of, it, I kind of, uh, and I don't want to, and I don't want to be a negative here, but I kind of almost had more faith in that, even though it hasn't, like you said, been published as a study. Um, so, and then also the fact that if these monkeys got CWD they have it still you know so how did they get it or i mean maybe it wasn't from ingestion but at some point they were able to get cwd and if they're similar to humans you know does that is that a scary thing you know
4: yeah and then it's interesting because i have the the fortune of being able to in my job interact with a lot of really good scientists who are true experts on the disease itself and who could really get into the nitty gritty with you. And mm-hmm. it's interesting your, your reaction is as, as someone um, that th- doesn't do that on a daily basis. Your reaction was, you know what? I'm putting my credence in the first one because these, these monkeys got CWD And there's a lot of information out there about it. And I'm concerned, whereas some in the science community put more credence in the more recent one because they say this is a published, this is published science. This exists, whereas the other one's not published yet. We're skeptical because of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so there's there's this interesting banter going back and forth. But sometimes, oftentimes, especially in today's society, the perception is reality. And because there is so much more information and it got a ton of press the last study that's that's what people are going to lean on and i and i can't say that i blame them to your point mm-hmm. you're sitting there and you just see that hey one way or another the macaques got cwd and that's enough to concern me and i totally get that and I, and i don't blame anybody for feeling that way and you might and you're you might be right so mm-hmm. i think the important thing is is that we continue to study and learn more about this very uh confusing and complicated disease and I'm, I'm glad to know that a lot of people are pounding the pavement and continuing to try to do that. We're trying to work hard to get money for, for our researchers to be able to do more. I just jumped off a call before talking with, with you folks, with uh, some people that I'm working with to try to get co-sponsors of some federal bills that we helped craft. They're sitting out there to bring money for CWD research. So we still know far less about the disease than than what we do know. So the important thing now is to just proceed with caution. And I think that's the point you're trying to make.
2: Yeah, for sure. And and so on that note, uh, what you just spoke to, APHIS is uh, revising their standards for CWD. And can you explain what APHIS is and what we as deer hunters can do to influence them to create standards that benefit deer and therefore benefit us?
4: Yeah, so aphis is a division within the USDA and it's it's really they're the ones that, that regulate the um, they provide they provide the CWD standards document for captive the captive servant industry so just to be clear the comment period for that draft document is this is just related to the captive servant industry so deer deer farms mm-hmm. and What we're doing is we are making sure that the sportsman voice gets heard in the drafting of comments for this because the – what happens is because this comes from a USDA – from the USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture, it is written in a much more agriculturally friendly way as opposed to a concern for wild deer friendly way.
1: Mm
4: -hmm. And so – some people look at this, especially the deer farming community, and they they think we're trying to attack deer farming, and that's that is not the case. What we're trying to do is say we need to, there are, there are important standards that need to be in place to, to keep captive deer in, in in captive, and keep wild deer wild. There shouldn't be an intermixing of those things, and uh, at the at, for for very sure we don't want to have a situation where you've got. Uh, a farm with cwd and a potential interaction with wild deer and have it spread further into the wild now you'll have uh folks in the deer farming community they'll turn that and say well we don't want our captive deer infected by cwd wild deer and you can go back and forth on that argument so if that being if that's the case then okay well then it behooves you even more then to make sure your securities are in place uh, to make sure that doesn't happen. So the bottom line is we both want to keep our animals separate. but it is USDA AphiS that that puts out the guidance and the, the documentation through the CWD standards for captive deer farms. And we want to make sure that there's as many protections in there for wild deer as possible. And that's just the right thing to do. And, and as it's written right now, there are many loopholes in there, a lot of a lot of things that that we feel aren't strong enough. And because of that, we've been putting on a big push to have people submit their comments. I can tell you that all of the major conservation groups are submitting comments. And we worked with the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership to put together a tool where sportsmen can easily go and submit comments to USDA. Because if we're being honest here, the average hunter out there probably didn't even know that these standards exist. They probably don't even know how it impacts hunting. And we're trying to start to educate people to make everybody more aware of the things that are important to wild deer and wild deer hunting. Mm
2: -hmm. And personally, I have uh, sent my comment in and we will link to that in the show notes. So if you're interested in commenting, please do that. Um, There's so many things that I have to say uh, or I could say uh, in response to what uh, you were talking about just now. Um, and I'll probably just keep my opinions to myself a little bit, uh, and move on. Um, but I, 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 guess after doing my research, um, you know, a lot of this is linked, not linked, but, um, there is, um, I guess, uh, they want to have some kind of correlation between mad cow disease and this, um, and obviously the, the cattle industry is a huge, uh, industry across the world. So, Um, when it was discovered and the UK had mad cow disease, um, you know, running rampant, I guess you would say, um, you know, they purged like a ton of cattle. They killed a lot of cattle. I can't remember the number. Um, and, you know, tried to, tried to rid basically their market of this disease. Why can't we purge CWD infected regions, um, of all the deer, you know, I know they do this in some instances, but it seems so small scale. Now, why can't we do this on a big scale and then restock from unaffected areas, kind of like they did with cattle in the UK?
4: You know, it's a, it's an interesting thought. I mean, I think number one, the cattle issue is quite a bit different because they're not out there roaming the landscape. Right. Right. So they're not wild. They're not, um, you know, we, <laughs> even even if even if the world if we all agreed that said yes we need to go into these landscapes and eradicate all the deer in particular areas um, which which politically you're never going to get that anyway but let's <laughs> just say for hy- hypothetically that, that you would get that there have been so many studies where where people will put GPS units on on uh, we're deer and, and people, and it shows just how inefficient, inefficient we actually are as hunters. Um, (laughs) so I, am not confident that the hunters or (laughs) through helicopters or whatever that we could ever get them all anyway. So it's, it's just with wild animals, it's just not feasible. Like it would be in a captive situation. Like you have cows, right? Um, cows are not genetically engineered to survive and get away from you. So, um, it's just not practical. Number one, I think what's happening or what most people see is there, there are two elements at play here. There's the political element and then there's the practicality and science element. And the political element is it's really hard enough to even identify a region where we need to really cut the population back, um, and, and accomplish that, let alone eradication of deer in an area. Number two, um, the practicality of it is very difficult. So I think what we're trying to do, frankly, is a, is a balancing act. We're trying to scientifically get as big of a sample and make as big of an impact as we think we can, while also being sensitive to the political aspect of all of this, and also the long-term economic ramifications because we know that a lot of people have already quit hunting deer because of CWD being one of the concerns. And if we went into an area and let's just say we picked a a Mm three-county area of a particular state and said we need to completely eradicate deer in this area, that's a lot of people who probably are just going to say the heck with it. I give up on deer hunting because you're wiping the deer out here. And then also there's the science that says prions are in the soils in these areas anyway. We're not sure we're accomplishing anything. Mm -hmm. So I think what you're seeing right now is state agencies really trying to People get mad at their state wildlife agencies, right? And and I'm sad about that because I work with these people. They really, really are trying to do the right thing. They don't always do the right thing, but it's not because they're not trying to. It's because we're all still learning and figuring it out. And Wisconsin, those poor people there get uh, just lambasted with negativity about how they manage CWD. But they were really the first ones out of the gate, and they had to make a lot of the mistakes that we learned from, and it's nobody's fault. It's just it's what ha- it's what what's happened. And I just ask people to be patient with your wildlife agency. They're battling uh, the sportsmen and their opinions. They're battling politics and they're battling just uh, the realities of the science. So mm-hmm. uh, this is a long road. This is a marathon. I think CWD is just going to be part of our lives. If you're someone that's a deer hunter or concerned about deer and we have to learn to live with it and we have to adjust our practices in order to accommodate that
3: Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that you touched on something there that's just another thing we have to live with is politics you know and it's just it's just from here on out uh whoever decided that wildlife was political like established that precedent and it will never change right and we will always have always have uh state wildlife agencies who who are being pushed and pulled and prodded from all different directions and unfortunately, for us here locally, we kind of live in the state of high fences, right? And there's a lot of big, big money involved with that. And I'm I'm not going to uh, say that our our state wildlife agency um, is bad or good or anything else. But I, I, like you said, I feel they they make mistakes sometimes. I feel like they are trying to do the best thing, but there's so many um, there's so many uh, I guess authorities and so many people that have power. Um, and since uh, you know, we talked about, like, with the APHIS stuff, that's a national scale, and that's, you know, that's a USDA thing. Wildlife is managed on the state levels. So what can we do on state levels, not not just Texas, but everyone? You know, as, as a citizen of a state, of a state wildlife agency, what can we do to help influence our state agency to make uh, decisions and choices that are beneficial to hunters and maybe not industry?
4: And I'm glad that you brought that up and I, I really like how you articulated that because that's kind of the crux of the issue right so number one the poli- the political science has overpowered the biological science no mm-hmm. that's just a fact and, and frankly that's why the national deer alliance exists that's why we have to have a deer organization that is just focused on policy because it's all policy it's all politics right mm-hmm. so but to your point, and this is this has been the weak link, and that is – and, and I'm, I'm not saying this. If you're sitting there and you're a hunter, don't take this as me blaming you or blaming hunters it's because the reality is – what I'm about to say is I want to preface by saying the reality is the reason a lot of us hunt is to get away from all the other crap that's going on in the world, and part of that being politics, mm-hmm, right? sure. So, we want to, yeah. We want to go out there and we want to, we want to sit down on a stump and sit there and wait for a deer to come by or not. And I know I'm way over, yeah. I'm way oversimplifying that, but that's the no, reality.
3: you're speaking to me, Nick. I like it. Keep it up. Yeah,
4: we don't want to deal with the garbage that I deal with every day in my job. I hate politics, by the way. But if it wasn't for politics, I wouldn't be in this job. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why we're here to deal with that. But we need to, as sportsmen, we have done an awful job. Of being active on issues, I think about less than one percent. We figured out of deer hunters join deer hunting groups, whether it be the QDMA or the Mule Deer Foundation or Whitetails Unlimited. Less than one percent are joining. Mm. We give away a free subscription to our e-newsletter, guys. We should have uh, we should have of the nine million people that hunt deer. We should have at least half of those people sign up for our free newsletter. And we don't even have twenty thousand.
3: Yeah. Mm. I would say all sickening. 9 million need to. That's just me, though. Like, it, it's <laughs> yeah. super so, beneficial. Yeah.
4: Yeah, it, it's, and it doesn't cost you a thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And so deer hunters in particular have been terrible about getting involved in issues. But I, I talk about this idea of being a well-rounded deer hunter and what that really means. It doesn't mean that you know all the best calls, that you know all the best tree stand setups, that you know how to play the wind, that you can hunt mule deer and whitetail. That's That's a different type of well-rounded. Well-rounded now means... You're aware of the issues that impact your sport, that impact conservation, and that you're willing to, when called upon, weigh in on those issues. So most of the time, those are going to be state issues, like you said. And what we try to do through the NDA is if we're, if, we're, if we're aware of state issues, like, for example, it wasn't all that long ago that there were a number of bills introduced in your state that we put together action alerts for. And we have a system on our website where people can go with a couple clicks of the mouse and weigh in on an issue. Mm-hmm. We should have thousands of people doing that because we're making it easy on you. So I guess I just implore implore your listeners to say, you know what, I need to be a little bit more well-rounded. I'm not going to sit there. I don't have the time to sit there and dig down into the depths of some of these things. But I do at least need to pay attention to what the other national deer groups are saying, what the National Deer Alliance is saying, and be willing to at least weigh in a few clicks of the mouse and let people know how I feel about an issue – and then go on about your business because we're, we we need all hunters to band together to allow us to go out and sit on that stump and just sit there and hope that a stinking deer walks by or not uh, <laughs> without without having this burden our minds all the time. So uh, we just have to do a better job, and, and it comes back to hunters. Hunters are the ones – we tax ourselves, right? We talk about Pittman-Robertson dollars. We talk about the money from license sales going to wildlife conservation. We've done it before. And we need to do it again. We can't expect somebody's going to come in and save us. Listen, hunters, all you listening, we have to save ourselves. This is on us. We have to own this. And the sooner we figure that out, the better off we're all going to be.
2: Yep.
3: Yeah, man, I I could not agree with you more. In fact, uh, you just took the words right out of my mouth with the whole Pittman-Robertson thing. Because my next question for you is going to be, You know, why can we not create an excise tax of some sort to help fund research for things like CWD or any other thing that might pop up in the future? You know, I feel like we have um, all of these things that help with habitat, and habitat, of course, is super crucial, but the biological health of a species, of a population, is so important too. And I feel like either we need to find a way to tap into some funding there or uh create our own whether that be through a stamp or through uh you know
2: government policy or whatever i don't know one dollar per you know habitat stamp here in texas would go a long way yearly you know what i'm saying we have a ton of hunters here in our state and i just think about if you had a cwd endorsement stamp that was one dollar and if you expected to deer hunt and use a tag i mean that would go a long way just here in our our home state even
4: yeah, and that's been brought up in some of the the circles I'm running in. A lot of people have suggested that that could be an option. And I think one of the reasons that could be attractive, too, is, uh, is a lot of people, when they buy their hunting license or they buy a gun or ammunition, they don't even necessarily know that they're supporting conservation efforts. I often wonder if we, turned, if we got rid of the tax and instead uh, told people, OK, now it's time for you to contribute your money toward the issue. I wonder how many people would actually do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, just like pay, when you fill up your gas tank, you know that there are a ton of different taxes on that fuel going into your vehicle mm-hmm. that you don't even want to think about, right? So it's just mm-hmm. second nature. Gas is what it is, and you put it in your car. Well, I, that's why I think something like a stamp or an addition to a license fee or something along those lines would be the easiest way to go just because people don't see it as much. They wouldn't notice an extra dollar necessarily um, for for those types of things. So it's a, it's a legitimate idea, and – I think it's one that's being batted around. Although it's again, it's just so difficult at a time where people are just so anti-tax and yeah. being burnt so many times by wasteful spending that people get concerned about it. But I think it's a it's a viable idea.
2: Absolutely, yeah, I I, I agree with you. So what what can you give us as we leave here that? Um, you know, is either a fix to all this long-term or, you know, what is the best thing we have going for us now as deer hunters? I just want some hopeless or some hopeful uh, pieces of information from you here.
4: Yeah. I'm glad you brought it back. Reasons for us to be incredibly hopeful. Number one is we've never had a more educated hunting community. People are so educated now on, on deer and deer hunting and how to provide habitat and, uh, this is a good time. It's still a great time to be a deer hunter. We still have those traditions. We still have the excitement of opening day, and deer haven't changed. Our knowledge and ability to hunt them and all of the gear and all those things is better than it's ever been. And, you know, I'm still really proud and excited to be a deer hunter, and uh, those things have never changed. You know, the other thing I'll say too is it's not like deer haven't faced huge challenges in the past. If you think back to the early 19th century and deforestation and there was there was no conservation essentially we almost right we almost lost deer mm-hmm. uh, we've always overcome and i think we're going to overcome again and we just need sportsmen to step up and to be willing to do that it's just it's a different battle this time and uh, hunting has never been um, people have never been more passionate about hunting we definitely have lost hunters there's no question about that but the hunters that remain are way more educated than they ever were way, way more equipped Uh, and and way more successful and I I just think when you you look at some of the things that young people now are getting into and the whole uh, understanding where I get my food movement now the CWD issue isn't helping with that necessarily um, that's that's a that's a thing now that's very real we've got more women hunting than we ever had Uh, it's it's not let's not let the CWD issue be a dark cloud that's stomps us out. Let's rally around it and let's continue to work together and be the leaders that hunters and conservationists have always been.
2: Well spoken. Nick, thanks so much for your time and your knowledge and uh, your leadership in our community, man. We really appreciate uh, having guys like you on the forefront of what we're trying to do and, and uh, supporting the cause of uh, something that so many of us enjoy doing uh, year-round really nowadays.
4: No, absolutely, and really the credit goes to you guys for being willing to have a show about this, and you're reaching into the into the grassroots, into the, the true hunting community, and that's something that, that you'll do way better than, than we ever can, so thank you for the opportunity.
2: Sure, well, thank you, and uh, I hope you get you a turkey sometime this spring.
4: I'm working on it. I, I, I hope. I hope, and, and I hope that you guys eventually see some where you're at. So. <laughs> I
2: think we will. There are uh, several different organizations working really hard for that, so I'm sure we will within the next decade or so. Anyway, we will see you soon, and uh, thanks for hopping on the phone with us, real quick.
4: Okay, take
2: care. See ya, man. It's good to hear from Nick again. Some of these people we get to talk to are just awesome, like you you don't, I don't know, like in between the time that you talk to him, you know, it's been, it's been a while. We've had some email correspondence, but you just kind of forget like how intelligent this guy is, you know? Yeah. I mean, just even just formulating sentences makes me feel like an idiot. You know?
3: <laughs> well, I'm so glad he really does do a good job of like, uh, communicating and, and, uh, dictating like what he's trying to get out to something or to us so that anybody can understand it, you right. know? And, and I'm so glad that, uh, he got on the phone and talked to us today because I feel like we got somewhere and I'm I'm a little bit inspired. I'm kind of fired up about it. You know, like I'm ready to like make something happen. I'm ready to make sure that we have deer Mm -hmm. for my lifetime and for more to come.
2: Yeah. And, And more on the point that you just made, like we talked about this, but, um, you know, like some of our friends, um, they love to hunt Mm -hmm. but they're not necessarily politically involved like nick was saying most of most deer hunters aren't um and for good reason like we hate politics you know Mm -hmm. it's just a bunch of people fighting all the time We we don't care about all that mess but uh we do have to just stand up for what we believe in and what what we're talking about is that nick does a good job of allowing like we got into depth there um but our buddies that don't get like get into the politics and all these different things too much they just mm. want to go sit on a stump you know they could still listen to this and understand exactly what is happening and come away with a really good grasp on sure. everything that's happened in the last few years you, you
3: know, know whenever he was saying that sit on the stump thing all I could think about is me sitting on that stump and that bull elk sneaking in on us in Colorado, and me trying to draw when he's at fifteen yards. I was exactly doing that. I was yeah. zoned out, just chilling on the side of the mountain, I ain't worried about nothing. And here comes this elk, just scaring us yeah. like crazy. I guy. could
2: see the something. Something your wheels were turning when he said that, and you were like, "You are speaking to me, Nick." I was like, "What yeah. is he?
1: What is exactly?"
2: Yeah, I was but into it. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, one thing that I would say is if you don't want to be too uh, politically involved, you don't. Care to get too detailed because I understand that times like I just I'm check out of stuff too, you know and I there are times in my life where weeks or months in a row I'm just like, I do not care about Fox News mm-hmm. or whatever you know, and mm-hmm. that's been probably more than a few months now for that one in particular. <laughs> but uh, you know what I'm saying like it's uh, it's difficult uh, at times to keep up with all this. Um, you know, have a good job, make money, go hunting, uh, hang out with your kids or wife or girlfriend or whatever you got, you know, there's a lot of things to life. And if you don't want to, uh, have to like dig into that so much and read articles at night, sometimes, um, I would say that Nick kind of hinted at this, but, um, take all these conservation orgs, uh, like TRCP, which you mentioned, or QDMA, which you mentioned NDA. Uh, the Element Podcast, any other podcast that's a trustworthy podcast out there about deer, and cross reference them and say, okay, uh, these are three uh, organizations that I believe are oriented in for the betterment of wildlife and hunter, you know, opportunity and such, and hunter recruitment and all that. Um, and take and if they all are saying like this subject, we need to do this on that subject. Then you can just, without doing much research at all, just go. Okay, I'm going to submit my public comment, and I spent, you know, five minutes cross referencing and putting in a comment, and that's all I have to do for the next mm-hmm. few weeks, you know, whatever. Yep. And th- and then you can really maximize your time if you don't care to know the ins and outs of it. And so uh, that's helpful, and that's still being involved in conservation and being involved in uh, the community and, and being a good part of the political spectrum, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Sure. Anyway, um I guess that's about all we got this week, man. Yeah. Um oh, we have a video though. Make sure that you go watch. If you uh if you're looking for uh or happen to be looking for a little snake protection out there, which I uh was and uh now I'm wearing snake boots. I did a review on the uh the lacrosse venom snake boots that I bought a while back and um we've put some miles on them in this postseason. Um and the really the one time I encountered a cottonmouth, I didn't have them on, so it was pretty scary. <laughs> <laughs> That's
3: right. So that. uh,
2: anyway, but uh, yeah, I can't tell you how they how they hold up against a bite. But I can tell you how they hold up against a lot of the other elements. So uh, go watch the video. It's in our gear review section of our YouTube channel, which is called the element evals, which is a cool made-up word that Casey had.
3: <laughs> Short for evaluation. That's right. And um, so they're
2: gear reviews. Yeah. Yep.
3: But uh, I, I just want to say thank you all for listening because, to be honest, if it wasn't for doing this podcast and being involved with this stuff, I wouldn't. Be as informed as I am. You know mm-hmm. this. This kind of uh, holds me accountable to be informed on this stuff, so that we can find a way to get the information out to y'all. So thanks for listening, because um, yeah, I just really appreciate that and that accountability.
2: For sure, yeah, man, it's allowed us to just have the ability to get more involved with it, which is it's the dream. But you know, if you don't if you don't have a, a reason or accountability to do it, sometimes you just life gets in the way you that's know? it man so anyway like KC said I, I from the bottom of my heart thank you guys too and God bless you as you go about your week I hope you have a great weekend and uh, we'll see you soon remember this is your element living
3: it
1: Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. Hey, we're going to take
0: a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with Interstate Batteries.